Tandem Nomads, episode 164. I am so excited to be back, Amel, and share a little bit about our story over the past two and a half years and the growth that we've seen and some of the strategies that we've used to get there. Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great inspiration and tips to grow a successful, portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. This is your host, Amel Deregi. I'm a business and marketing coach and the founder of Tandem Nomads. So today's episode makes me really excited and happy because I'm bringing back a guest who was on the show in 2017. And we are recording this episode in March 2020. And I love bringing back some amazing success stories here but also bringing you some inspiration and tips of how you can grow your business. So today's guest is somebody who managed to create a startup to build it from the scratch and today to make it a seven-figure business. And I wanted to share with you that inspiration and some tips. So in order to do that, I brought to you here, Erica McManus. Erica, are you ready for this ride? I am. I am, like I said, I am so excited to be back. I didn't realize it's been two and a half years. In some ways, it's felt like 20 years, uh, but I'm really excited just to come back and kind of round up our conversation and share with you a little bit about where we've gone. Yeah, it's amazing story and such an inspiring story. And Nomad Nation, I'm just going to give you a little bit of information on Erica. And as I said, she's been on the show before and I will link this um, first episode, this first interview on the show notes of this episode. So go to tandemnomads.com slash 164 so you can hear more details about how Erica started. But just in a few words, Erica started her career in 2003 working for the American Army uh, in various director and leadership positions. And Erica is also a military spouse. And after multiple moves in the country and abroad, two kids and limited traditional job opportunities, she had to get creative with a way to find fulfillment and income that matched well with the unpredictable military lifestyle. And this is something that you can recognize a lot, even if you're not military and expats, this is the common thing that we have together, having to move on the, from one country to another and figure out how to do it. So her entrepreneurial spirit started when she joined a, as a consultant, a veteran-owned startup, and managed to find the flexibility she was looking for. So in 2016, she co-founded uh, her own startup called Hire Mad Skills. It was a company that sources virtual work opportunities for military spouses to clients ready to outsource. So in 2017, she shared with us how she started the company with her co-founder and started generating her first revenue. So you will all learn about that in the link in the show notes. But in 2018, she and her partner decided to make major changes in her business model and even the name of her business that is now called instant teams. So in this episode, two years later, Erica will share with you why she and her partner made these changes and how they built the seven-figure location independent business and how she made all these pivots. So um, these pivots that led her to where she is here. So I'm really, really honored to have you here, Erica. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know that times are really busy right now. And just to be a little bit effective, could you just take us back to when you were still mad skills before you pivoted? What was the situation just before you did that pivot? 
Yeah, it's so crazy to even hear you like, I mean, we've just, we've done so many things in such a short amount of time. Um, and I really contribute that to kind of three things. One is, is customer development. Like we've, we really paid attention to what our customers were telling us they liked or needed about what we were doing. And that was really the catalyst for all the evolution to bring us where we are. Um, and I'm excited we can talk a little bit more about what those changes were. Um, the second one was listening to advisors and mentors that were assisting us along the way, knowing we had a concept, knowing that people had, you know, no more than us. You always, you know, bring people in the room that are smarter than you. We really paid attention mm -hmm. to that and we were really um, aware of the learning process. And so we took a lot of that advice and mentorship to heart and listened very carefully. Um, and then the third thing that really led us to the really big rebrand, building our own proprietary software was just knowing that the future of work was, was coming and mm. that we needed to be on the forefront of that. Um, and now even seeing how that has changed tremendously, you know, here recently, um, we're just happy that we paid attention to all of that then and have really just kind of take, taken those steps every single day to move that forward. Yeah. Even if like the technology and the gig economy has been there for a few years now, mm -hmm. at the time where we are recording this episode, it's we're in the middle of the, the COVID-19 crisis and there's no better time where you're the most relevant when it's about remote work. So what it tells me is that you are and were from the start of the forefront of where the market is going yeah. before even this crisis. So, um, but I love that you summarized those three key things that helped you grow, which is listening. And, and there's not enough ways to repeat that. The only way you can grow as a business is to actually be in touch with your clients and keep talking to them. Never just have this disconnect between you and your clients. That's so important. Listening to professionals' advice, mentors, getting the mentorship, that's super important. And the third one you said was also you know, having your own proprietary solution, which that I didn't know. I would love to hear more about that. Um, so these are great tips and I want to dig a little bit deeper into them, but I still want to understand a little bit what were the challenges you were having in math skills that led you to make drastic changes? Yep. So again, there were two sides to it. One, we really started off as just a remote job board and we saw very quickly a challenge there, which was twofold. One was quality assurance. Once we were making the matches and allowing these companies to take, you know, these teams internally, um, a lot of companies didn't know how to work with remote team members. They loved the concept, um, but they really struggled with making it successful. So we saw very quickly for just affinity of both sides of that conversation for the companies we were serving and the workforce, like we were going to need to have a little bit more hands-on. So that was a consistent challenge. Um, and then the second one was just customers very vividly coming to us and saying, I don't really want to manage this remote team. I mm -hmm. want to have the benefit of them doing great work for me wherever they are. But the companies didn't kind of have those HR functionalities to manage and or build these remote teams. So that's where we really saw um, the opportunity to kind of move in that direction. So challenges were really mostly listening to the customer's challenges and, and realizing how that was affecting us as a brand and, and, and how we were functioning. So we really kind of packaged that up um, and paid really close attention to, okay, how can we evolve that to move that forward and make it something really successful for everybody involved? That's amazing. Okay. So 
I just want to summarize for those who did not listen to the previous episode, the business model you had before was basically, you know, having the military spouses apply, put their CVs on your platform, and the the companies would just, like any other hiring platform, it's just that it was specific to the niche of military spouses. You wanted to empower military spouses who struggle to find a job and bring this source of amazing talents to companies who are looking for these talents. Right. So, this was your business model. The way they were paying was either by a membership or by the services. You you already started having hourly fees to help them actually m- create their teams. Yep. That's where we stopped last yep. time we talked. So <laughs> what has evolved since? Oh my gosh, so much. That's crazy. <laughs> um, so we really went full force with being the service provider. And then having done that so many times, and I'll kind of describe what that process looked like. We then realized uh, my co-founder is a software uh, developer. So she's very tech savvy, sees the writing on the wall with how processes can evolve into, you know, automation. So we saw the process that we had done time after time to build and manage these teams could start to become some type of software system that we could use internally um, to speed up our process. So the really big first change was like the job board was gone. And what we started doing was, um, the job board, this is what you said. Sorry. Yeah. The job board was gone, meaning Mm -hmm. a a company could no longer come to the website and post something or, um, search through the workforce that had registered with us. We, we took that all in house and all behind the scenes. Mm. So it very much became a customer comes to us. We go through a, just like a, a sales process with a customer once they're committed and they're in, then our team manually until recently with the software was building and managing those teams, which means the customer would say, hey, we need this type of team. We need this many people. Here's our budget. Our team would then go to our workforce database and find those team members that would be the best match. So we were literally just handing the customer, here's your best team. You don't get options. You don't get 20 people to choose from like our value add is you're coming to us because we know what we're good at and we're going to build and give you this team back ready to go within five days. And that's unique. There's some recruiting, there's some staffing, there's some BPO and PEO. There's like all of these different kind of industry terms out there that we do a little bit of each of those um, for just a really unique solution that companies can just come and get the team and let them plug and play into their daily operations. That's amazing. So how does the software complain to this that you developed? Yeah, so um, we named it Artie. So A-R-T-I. And we're working right now on like a personality and kind of a avatar to it. So that's an exciting process. Um, Hopefully next time we talk, we can uh, talk about Artie. But that stands for um, Automated Remote Team Innovation. And we built the software to allow us to have the back-end functionality to match what the customer puts in when they come into the site to the workforce. So we were doing that manually before, which meant somebody was going through the profiles and trying to find the matches. So we've built software that allows the system to automatically populate the top matches for us. And then we can go through the processes of actually building and putting the team into play. Um, The second piece is our customers now have um, a dashboard. So as a customer of Instant Teams, you can log in and see this really cool visual of what your team is doing at any given time. So that's the budget, that's the hours worked, that's the team members. And that productivity piece, people love, right? They love to see who's working when, they love to see the budget effect of it. 
So that's been a really exciting value add. And again, that was just from listening to customers, like, what would you like to see if you had a tool? Um, so that's what we've really kind of spent the last 12 months um, building RD to do and have, you know, a year ahead of making that more robust with lots of other functionalities and everything. That's amazing. And I think the the great like power that your team has is that you have your partner who is a developer and yes. that's a huge mm -hmm. asset to have. I know that a lot of startups struggle because they don't have that in house. So that's, that's a huge, huge insight. I do want to address later for all of you Nomad Nation who are listening, some of the key learnings you can get for this, even if you don't have a technology based company, we are going to talk about that. So hang in there because I don't want you to say, oh, I just don't have the right team member or I don't have the right technology because here there's so much more you can learn from this. So I just want to paint the full picture. We still have some things that I want to unwrap from where you are now yep. before we get into you know, how we can learn from your experience to be able to grow a business, pivot it in order to take it to the next level, even if it is location independent. So Maybe the next question to understand where you are now would be what are now, how does your revenue stream work? What is the, how does that work? Sure. So our business model is um, we, it's, it's hourly right now. Everything is hourly. So we have an hourly rate that our companies pay for every hour that our team members work. And we've designed all of that. Um, we call it kind of in a matrix form, meaning the customer knows what they're paying right away. And the team member knows what they're getting paid right away. And so there's, there's no negotiations. It's not messy. It's just, this is how the model works. And um, it's worked really, really well. And coming 2020, um, we're going to start to be using some of that customer dashboard and some of those um, functionalities of the software um, to hopefully start to have some SaaS opportunities where customers can come in and use just different pieces of the tool as we've developed. So like you said, you know, the story is not like we're, we're becoming this large technology company, but we weren't, we were two military spouses with six kids between us sitting in a kitchen mm -hmm. table with an idea, right? Like it's mm -hmm. just, that's how that grows. You know, we were very much like consultants at the beginning and just really listened to what was happening to keep taking those steps to grow. So yeah, yeah. This, I see myself no different than three years ago. So it's always interesting to hear, you know, kind of your interpretation of that too. <laughs> yeah. And I love that you bring that up, that you're a mom and still managing a family and still on the move. Since the last time I talked to you, I think you already moved two or three, two times. I yeah. think you went to Florida or something. Yes. Florida came back. back. So we've moved two times in the past three years. <laughs> so, yeah. So I love that you brought that up. I, are this other people who are looking for a job as well paying to be able to be uh, in the uh, considered, or is it just a company that pays? Just the company. Our, um, uh, if you're interested in being a part of the workforce, it's just creating a profile, and that's free. Like we don't we don't charge anything to the job seeker. Um, we're very mission driven, and our mission is to make an impact on the unemployment rate in the military connected community. Mm -hmm. um, so we would never want to put anybody out of pocket, you know, to have that opportunity. So um, everything is uh, revenue based coming from the customer side for sure. And it has to be a military spouse. So we say that that is our mission and that is our focus and that's our priority. Um, we do have civilians. We, you know, we have people on our teams that are not military connected. Um, we have veterans on our team. So out of the 80 plus that we have right now working in the company, um, we're about 98% military spouses. Um, but there are non-military connected individuals um, and veterans as well. 
So is it safe to call anyone who's looking for a job to, to, to apply their, their to apply to be part of your database? Yeah. The only stipulation is we are not able to hire people internationally yet, which I know mm -hmm. is a struggle. We have, we have expats and we have people coming constantly. Like when are you guys going to grow the workforce side? Like when, you know, when's that opportunity going to be there? So we know there's a huge community out there that, um, that this is applicable to. Um, we just have to be really sure our foundation is solid with, with what we're doing. And then, you know, who knows what in the future that we'll be able to continue to open our doors to. I love that. You know, there's this quote that I always tell to my clients. It's an acronym, FOCUS, follow one course until success. If you try to support and serve everyone, you will not manage to serve anybody. So I think uh, we've said it in the previous episode, one of the biggest secrets of your success is having been consistent with that, sticking to your niche and to your mission statement, even if sometimes it must probably have been very tempting to venture out of that niche. <laughs> yes, we have been tempted to do all kinds of cool, amazing things along the past three years. And um, it's just, especially when you're innovative and you love what you're doing, you're like, oh, I have an idea. I want to go here and do this and do that. Um, so we've just been really strategic with that. We have like a Trello board where we drop big ideas. That way we don't forget them when the time will come. Because there will always be a time when you can wrap something else into where you're going when it makes sense. Um, but yeah, we've really tried to stay focused. And if anything, we started too big and we've had to niche down. Even the types of customer teams that we build have niched down. Wow. Um, and that was one of those mentor advisor lessons along the way. Like exactly what you just said. If we're like, no, we just want to help people and we want to serve people. And you're like, well, okay. But it's one of those things that you hear in your early days of entrepreneurship. And you're like, no, there's no way I can, I can do this. I'm just going to help everybody. And you learn very quickly that, you know, there is a, a madness to that method and it really has to be followed. So yeah, if anything, we've learned that we've niched down in order to grow, which I think seems counterintuitive when you just think about it. Um, but it's really been, you know, something that's yeah. success where we've taken it. This is huge. You know, the listening part, I think we won't repeat it enough, like listen to your clients, no matter how big your company is, this should be very important. And then get the help you need and the mentorship you need. And that's what you did in a thing that has accelerated as well, your growth. So tell us more about that part. How did you find the right mentorship you needed? How, how did you, you know, what did you do to, to be able to get the advisory you needed? Yeah, so it was interesting being uh, military spouses within the military connected community. Even three years ago, a lot has changed in kind of the ecosystem of entrepreneur support. Um, I would say there's three big things that we did, and those were all either um, events or courses, things that we very um, purposely decided to engage in. Um, one was um, the first one was called VWISE, it's a conference run by the Institute of Veteran Families out of Syracuse University. And it was just really our first touch point of business concepts, right? Like these higher level business concepts where we knew we needed to start understanding that more. Um, but the two biggest ones were we went through a cohort of the Founder Institute, which is a global accelerator, an amazing program, and it is global. It is, it is everywhere. So um, really great um, experience, world-class mentorship, like introductions to people. You're like, no way. Do we really get to talk to this person right now? Um, and fighting through imposter syndrome. Like there's all this personal development that happens when you take those big leaps and those big steps. So we went through that. Um, and that was really the catalyst of our brand change, which we could talk about at some point. Mm -hmm. And then the last big one was something we just participated in last summer called Blue Startups. 
it's again a, a global accelerator program out of Honolulu, Hawaii. And it's run out of the Tetris headquarters, which is really cool if you're into gaming at, at any point. Um, just a really cool group of people that, again, you're like, there's no way I'm standing next to like so-and-so right now. Like that is just too cool. Um, I'll say my only caveat in those types of experiences is you can become overwhelmed mm. with the level of mentorship, right? So many people who have so many pieces of advice. But again, it's almost that like reverse engineering of, okay, what do we want to focus on and whose advice do we want to really be laser focused on to come away with what we know we need to come away with? Because people will always have advice for you, right? <laughs> people will always have ideas and it's having to align that with where, where you need to go. Because um, at the end of the day, it's, it's always your ownership and responsibility as the business owner to know where that's going and to say, you know, maybe thank you for your time. I don't see that that's really applicable for us right now. Or like, I'm going to talk to you for 20 more hours because you're what we need. So Liza has been amazing in, in navigating those conversations um, for us and finding those opportunities for us mm -hmm. to engage. Liza is your business partner. Yes. Yes. Liza Rodewald. She is yeah. uh, my, my co-founder and the CEO of the company. Yeah. Big shout out to her. She's also doing an amazing job. Yeah. So, um, all right. So you talked a lot about getting invested into these uh, platforms and I will put the links into the show notes of this episode again to find it tandemnomads.com slash 164. I'll put this links. I'll look for them. BYS Founder Institute, Blue Startups. Is there any investments that you had to make in your personal growth to be able to, to be where you are now? Yes, it is. And I don't think I've been asked that yet, but yes. Um, I'd say at the end of year one, I, I started with a life coach. Um, and it, that I remember specifically this, the situation that I was like, oh, I think I'm going to need some help. It was the first time I was asked to do a keynote address. Mm. And I'm an introvert. I'm an Enneagram five. I like to be behind the scenes. Um, I'll be super involved and passionate with what I'm in, but I'm, I don't like seek recognition. I don't really like to be in the spotlight. So I realized when I received that invitation, like I couldn't say no, right? Who says no to an opportunity like that? But I was like so scared. And so I was like, okay, I think it's time to invest in, uh, in myself. So I've had several kind of three month long sessions with a life coach and have just been able to really build kind of like almost these tactical exercises that I can put myself through if I feel anxious or I know I need to say yes to something, but my fear is telling me no. Um, and growth is just, with a lack of a better words, it can really suck, right? It is really hard to grow and push yourself out of your comfort zone. And I think um, I've just re-engaged with her again recently, mostly because of just the growth of leadership. We have a, a large organization and that's a lot to take on. And at times, you know, you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm failing five people today, but there's 75 that are okay. And, you know, just all of those like kind of deep interpersonal things that are definitely a critical component to just keep driving forward and doing what you can do every day. Yeah, this is so important. I do think it's important to get the help we need as soon as we see that we struggle because that's what's leadership at the end is knowing what to source the help. And I think the investment part, had you had to, to hesitate in spending the money on yourself? Because I know that's something that spouses are not used to do. Yes, for sure. I think for a while I was like, well, I'll just read some self-help books. I'll listen to podcasts. And that, and that is a method, right? It can get you so far. Um, but I think when you hit that point, if it ever sneaks into your mind, like, 
I might need some help beyond what I'm giving myself right now. Like it's so important to definitely do that. And yeah, the, the financial investment of that, I mean, at that point, I mean, Liza and I were still not paying ourselves, you know, even a part-time salary. So I didn't really have, I still wasn't bringing in the money on my own to feel like that was worth it. Um, but it definitely definitely was and I would do it again anytime. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm so glad that you share that because I do think that's one of the barriers of many people to get to the next level. Just accepted that on top of what we discussed before. Um, so another thing you've done was to bring in funding. Yeah. So first of all, why did you need funding and what helped you get those funding and where are they now? Yeah. Can you tell us more about that journey? So I think I will, um, again, the disclaimer is two years ago, I, I knew nothing about the investment world. If, you know, I was Googling things. I was watching YouTube videos. Like if, if we're going to do this, like I need to have some sense of, you know, smartness on what, what's about to happen. Um, so that learning curve is really, really hard, especially as um, dual female founders in the space. Um, we didn't have a network, right? We weren't from Silicon Valley. We were we're nomadic, so we don't really have any strong network anywhere to tap into. So that was part of those, um, the Founder Institute and Blue Startups was again, kind of that network effect. Like we knew we needed to embed ourselves in places that had those networks. Um, so the first round was an angel round. Um, and that was right after our rebrand where we knew the technology that we needed to build. And in order to kind of rocket ship that to where we needed to go. We were, we were making revenue. We were already growing. Um, we knew we needed a little bit of an injection uh, of cash flow and of support to be able to do that. So that was what the angel round in, in 2018 was designed to do. And we did it and we used the money to where it needed to go. And we grew to the goals that were um, surrounded that angel round. And then just this past August. Can you share some numbers so we can have an idea of where you were before after, and then once you get the first round, the second, is that yeah. possible? Um, I think our first year, like we, we officially launched like October, 2016. So there was only like three months, you know, in that first year. Um, I think we had somebody write us a $2,000 check and we were <laughs> like, this is awesome, right? We were so excited with that $2,000. Um, I think the next year we made about $78,000 annually in revenue. Um, then the second full year was about $435,000. And then we just closed 2019 at right over $1.1 million in revenue. Wow. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, there's growth there in three years from like, yay, a $2,000 check to like, look, look what just happened. Right. It's, wow. it's it is so incredible. Um, so, so that, that angel round was a, was a part of that growth, right? That was um, what we knew we needed to build the technology to build our teams faster. That's how we got to that higher revenue was it wasn't so manual anymore. We had assistance in doing what we did well a little bit faster to bring in more customers and build more teams. I want to talk about the branding, but just before, just to finish this topic about funding, any tips you want to share about how to attract the investors? Because I think that's also a huge... Um, it's huge hurdle. I have so many friends and, and clients who are in the startup world and they struggle to get the funding. And what are your tips and what you've learned from your experience for those who are in that situation? Yeah, I'll start that conversation out by giving a shout out to Liza. I mean, she has taken the full lead on that side of the house as the CEO. So, you know, all of our successful rounds and all of those relationships, like Liza has really been the guide light on that. Um, 
but through, you know, watching her do that and obviously being a part of that with her daily, um, it's, it's that network effect, like putting yourself in the, in the position to meet and build relationships, um, having people do introductions. I would say though, at the end of the day, it's structure. You have to have a business model that makes sense and you have to be able to explain it in a way that makes sense to investors. And I think the tricky part there, and I'm sure Liza would, would, um, say the same thing is that almost every investor you talk to is going to be interested in a different part. Hmm. So, um, I think we have like, I don't know, 27 different versions of the same deck at this point, right? Because it's, it's mm. is this person more financially interested. Is this person more technology interested? Like know who you're talking to when you go to pitch. Um, and just assume you're always pitching in a relationship way. So like having those first conversations with investors just to see if people are interested. Um, you know, that's how you get to the actual like, okay, come pitch to our, our group of 150 angels to see, you know, what happens. So definitely just having the structure of your business and being able to articulate that, but then also doing your homework and knowing who you're talking to, I think makes a huge difference because you can deliver an excellent pitch, but totally miss the mark of everybody in the room. So, um, yeah, that's amazing. I love that you say do your homework and you have, I don't know how many different decks because you cannot use one pitch for everybody. And this is so important, which means that you need to know what are the expectations on the other side? So you need to, to talk to some people, to do the online research, to look at whether the other type of startups these investors have been in, investing in, things like that. This is really important. Another thing, and I would like to know your opinion on this, I know that when I coach my clients who are, are in the startup situation, I'm so drastic about waiting to have a proof of concept before going and selling yourself short let's say even if you get an investor, which is rare when you don't have, but I see a lot of startups trying to get funding right away before doing the bootstrapping before. And you've been bootstrapping. I remember, but the first time you came to us, you've been bootstrapping your startup and you did things manually before you started developing algorithms and, 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 and apps. So what are you, what are your thoughts about that? I already said my opinion about that, but I just want to see how much, um, because you've been in this world on the other side as well. Yeah, I think it's, I think it depends on where you are. So I think in Silicon Valley, maybe now Denver, Austin, like these kind of growing hubs of entrepreneurial um, investments or startups, I think those places have an ecosystem more where they like just, I find it like unbelievable. I'm like, how did they just get $3 billion with an idea? Like who does that, right? (laughs) Um, I think those types of investors and those kind of hotbeds of space are just more attuned to risk. They're just, that's how it works there. But if you, if you remove yourself from those places, I think you'll find that strong business structure. Like you, like you said, there has to be a proof of concept. It has to be solid. Um, even like understanding your financials and not at like a CFO level. Um, but like, you know, from day one, we used QuickBooks and I taught myself how to do chart of accounts and how to keep things organized. Like there's small things that will be really impressive to investors if you just take the time to do it at the baseline level. Um, I, we've always found some of the feedback interesting, like that's what impressed you out of everything, out of everything we do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I would ever give advice to people to like, just make a great deck with an idea and, and hit the ground. I don't, I don't personally believe like that's where success is found. 
Um, maybe that's just like a personal, like I would never do that. Like I've got to feel really strong about what I'm doing in the knowledge base of that before I would ask other people to believe that hmm. process for them to invest their own money. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of more of a proof of concept, show what you can do. Um, but at the same time, being able to broadcast that huge vision, right? Like there's still this huge vision that we have for instant teams. We're nowhere close to that, but these are the steps that we've taken exactly. to prove that we're getting there along the way. Baby step, one step at a time. And, and the proof of concept, I think is even important for us when we invest our own money in the business. Yeah. 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 Like, <laughs> it's not just for the investor. I think it's important that we have a little bit of traction, a little bit of a confirmation that there is a need, that there is an interest before we start. That's another thing I've seen a lot of people do is invest a lot of their own savings to develop their, you know, their startup and not having had an not even having had proven the idea with a small, you know, prototype that is manual or, yeah. or having at least a few clients that said, I'm ready to put my money in this yeah. before getting, investing in the development. Of yeah. I think that goes along with the bootstrapping phase, at least for us was, was the customer development. Like we didn't dump money into marketing or, ads or you know like all this stuff where you sometimes see people like well I need to get my brand out there and so they just kind of like all of their money goes towards kind of like the broadcast but at the end of the day you can kind of say you can kind of see sometimes like well where is where is the actual business model right now like do you have customers have you ever had a customer um so we spent a lot of time in those early days like reaching out to people on LinkedIn who maybe potentially would have been a customer and saying Hey, I have five questions. Can I ask you like really like strategic, like survey customer development. So at some point we could say, Hey, we've talked to a hundred X, Y, Z type of companies. This is what they're interested in. We know that fits in our mission. Let's go ahead and try this. Yeah. So that's, that's so good. So Nomad Nation, Erica tells you exactly how she bootstrapped this business. That's a seven million, uh, seven figure business. So make sure to, to read that and listen to that story before, because you gave so many tips there. I don't want to go back to the bootstrapping part. Um, but now we're talking about the pivoting. So you pivoted by changing your brand name. And that's a huge risk. A lot of people actually get comfortable, even if they're at a small level, mm -hmm. we get comfortable very easily because change means risks, means disruption. So I'm, I wish when you did that move, I was like, wow, you've got the guts to do that. So when it was kind of working, it was not like not working, but right. you could see already, hmm, we're going to be uncomfortable at some point because there are some things not working. So could you tell me through that process about how you made that change and how you came up with a new name? Yeah, the process really, like I know it seemed like a sudden thing on the outside, which is what we wanted to happen. Like, but that was like a nine month conversation, right? Like it was, um, really founded in after our experience at the Founder Institute with where we knew if we were going to create technology, if we knew where we were going to go with kind of being a leader and what remote teams can actually look like and do for organizations. Um, that we started out the company kind of geared brand-wise to the military community. And we did that purposely because we knew we had to build the trust and the brand in that community to build our workforce or else it wasn't going to work. Um, we're kind of a dual-sided marketplace. So you've got to be building up a workforce and building up a customer base at the same time. And so building that towards the community was, was important. And I'm still glad we did that. 
but we got to a certain point where just kind of that name, the feeling of the brand wasn't making sense to customers. We started getting a lot of confusion or a lot of questions like, um, mad skills. Are you guys like in the sports space? So like we just started hearing these things again, it's that listening. It's like that active listening to where we were like, okay, this is going to grow and go big where we need it to. Like just that name and that feeling of that brand that was great to start out with may not take us where we need to go. Um, so it was a very large undertaking to rebrand completely from name to colors, you know, everything surrounding that. Um, but then the education piece. So we, I put together like this 12 week plan to where we were starting to like drop little hints and then we're going to rebrand and here's why, and here's what it's going to look like. And this is the day it's going to happen. Because like you said, there is a lot of risk in that. Like you can lose a lot of affinity, a lot of people, a lot of interest when you rebrand something. And I have to say, I don't think we lost anything. I'm sure there's somebody out there who's like, oh, I hate the branding. I hate the new name. Like, that's okay. There's always going to be haters. Um, but as far as the, the affinity, right, kind of the, the, those pieces that we wanted to be sure we didn't lose from the company, um, all, all stayed intact. And it and, builds relationships. Yes. And if anything, it's, it then positioned us in the place in the market to where we want to go. And as far as the name Instant Teams, Liza had actually had the idea and she just told me the other day, and I never knew this, that we had met the first time we ever met, like we just met each other kind of in passing at a, at a duty station. She bought the domain Instant Teams back then because she had had the idea for a company like this. And so then like two and a half, three years later when we crossed again and we're like, hey, let's build this business. She had always had that in her head and actually had the domain already. And I was like, how have you never told me this? It was like one of those funny like founder moments. Like, are you kidding me? Um, so that was really fun, but it's just easy, right? Instant teams. We can build you a team. We can deliver you a team. We'll manage you a team. Um, and we do it with, within a five day time frame. So that's amazing. That's a great pitch. We do it in a five day. So <laughs> yeah. I, I just like that, that you have also that USB in a way that makes it different from any, you know, sourcing other, you know, HR recruitment. Yeah agencies um okay so in terms of um, um you were telling me all these stories and i know that you were not a marketer before so how did you get to know how to build that plan to actually communicate in the right way to not lose traction while you were transitioning that 12-day plan yeah. communicating giving hints preparing people before the big change yeah, I have no, I do not have a degree in business. I don't have a great degree in marketing. I have two degrees in human ecology, which is human based, which I think brings a natural component of relationships and understanding how people think. And so like, that's what I do good in the company for instant teams. Like I'm very much on like the human side of our relationships, which is important because we build teams and we have to have this culture of, you know, team based interactions. Um, I think it was, <laughs> it the desire to make this plan roll out was that we knew it was risky. And so it was like kind of reverse engineering that risk to like, what will make us succeed here? What will make us fail? Like if we just woke up on a Monday and we're like, we changed. Good job, everybody like, like us and continue to support us. It's like a shock factor to that. Right. Um, so I think it was just a very cognizant, like, any in any transition, like you got to kind of warm up to the feeling, you got to prepare people for it. Um, but also the positivity, like this is a great thing, right? We're not 
we're not rebranding because we've done something bad or we're, not, or, or we, we're failing. Because sometimes companies rebrand to like cover things up. And so <laughs> that was another thing we didn't want people to think, you know, that, you know, we had foreclosed and started again. So really positive, really relationship based and, and empowering our audience to, to like take that journey with us. Like it was just a very journey relationship based reason to educate people as to why we were doing this. Yeah. And, and also like involving them in the process and being transparent. I think that's also, I've been noticing when you were doing it, I really followed that journey and it was really fascinating for me how you've involved us in this. It doesn't feel like, Oh, this is us. Of course it's your decision, but right. you're part of the process. So come hop on with us. Let's go yeah. into this journey together. Yeah. So that was really wonderful. So many things here to share. Let me see if I didn't forget anything. Um, I think we, we touched on a lot of things here, but is there one piece of advice that you want to share for all those? Let's not just talk about technology, but even at a smaller level business, like when you want to pivot what are the things that you've learned from this experience that you really want to share with us? Yeah, I think evolution is a part of any business. If you do not anticipate that you're going to have to change something at some time, you might as well just give up now. Mm. And I think, you know, whether you want to be a multi-million dollar company or you're just looking to bring in like, you know, another full-time salary into your family, um, there are changes that are going to have to happen. And so whether it's, the visual branding where you've maybe you've had 10 customers and you're like, well, my brand didn't really resonate with them. Like, what do I need to do to change is, is you anticipate that from day one. I think that would be my number one advice, like anticipate change from day one. And if you're afraid of change, then you may need to go get that life coach sooner than later, because if you're going to be successful, it's going to have to happen. Um, and if there was a second piece to that, it would be the listening piece, right? The listening piece allows you to see where the change needs to come. And those two things together, I think are just at the end of the day, other than all the other things that we've put into this company are, are kind of those two really important pieces that have kept us growing. Yeah, that's amazing. I need to, you to listen to this one. Rewind Nomad Nation and listen to this again. I think this is so, so important what you just said here. I kind of want to tell here to everybody who's listening, you all can be here. That's the thing. You know, Erica is just like you and me. And for those of you who think you can't do it, you can do it. It's just about in getting, being committed, accepting to change, but also investing in the help you need. I also want to remind everyone that Erica, you're a mom on the move. And now with this whole homeschooling in the middle of the crisis, um, how did you manage to build such a big business while having all of this happening in your life, you had a lot of also changes happening in your personal life during this whole thing. How did you make this happen? What helped you? It's just an, it's an, it's an everyday attempt, right? Like, and I think that's important for people who start out business, like to define at least initially, like, are you wanting this to be a hobby? Are you just wanting to work 15 hours a week to bring in a couple thousand extra dollars? Um, Liza and I have known from the beginning, like the impact that our idea and the, the business model of this company could have is large. And so we were going to have to put large amounts of life and energy into it. Um, I think we could probably do a whole different podcast on like the actual management of that and like some of the strategies and things that I've learned along the way or that we do as a family to be sure, like I am working 
eight to 10 hours most days and, and what that looks like for, for our family. Um, but then also not forgetting that family is my priority, right? We did this so that we had flexibility and we do this so that other families have flexibility and to not lose sight of that because there are days where you're like, oh, I think I've maybe worked about 18 hours today. I'm not sure that that's what I did this for. Um, and just knowing that those ups and downs are going to come and go. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, I'm sure it could be much more complicated <laughs> in explaining, but just, I wake up every day ready to do it. And I know that there's mm -hmm. things that we have to accomplish every day to get us to where we're going to keep going. Yes. And that's all about mindset at the end of the day. It's the mindset that will make you want it. If you want it, if you really want to play big, then, um, and I think that's another thing that I want to inject into our community in Tandem Nomads is to not be afraid to think and dream big. You yeah. can do this. And sometimes I want people to dissociate between knowing what you want. If you want something small, that's fine. But make sure that you're not making that choice because it's, it feels safe. Yeah. Make sure that it is because it's what you want. Think about your dreams. If, if you want to, if you have big dreams, make them happen. You can do it. That's really important. Today, you're, for me, an amazing experience of that. So thank you so much for, you know, motivating us and, and giving us that real life success story that it is possible, even as a spouse, a military spouse and a, and a spouse on the move. Yeah. Thanks for that a lot. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's, I think it's easy to get stuck in the daily to where we don't even see ourselves as success, right? Like we're proud of what we do every day, but you're like, no, like we've really done great things. So taking the time out to share some of the experiences of where we come is, is really important. So I just Amazing. think it's an opportunity to do that. I would have so many more questions to ask you. I think it would love to live, to live with you with a mic following <laughs> you so that we can, we can learn so much from my experience, but I hope Nomad Nation that what you've heard here has helped you uh, think about how you're running your business. And even if you want to stay at a small scale, I think there's a lot of things here that Erica shared, especially for me, the big takeaway is listen, 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 and adapt to everything you hear. And listen means actually listening because a lot of people listen, but they're actually interpreting according to their own, what they want. So make sure that you're actually generally listening without any ego in it, without any, um, like real curiosity, uh, remove all the things you have in your head when you listen. I think that's one thing that I noticed. People are not actually listening. Yeah, I, I think I even said it's active listening, right? Yep, there, yep. There's definitely a difference. And um, I think the the lack of ego is also like such a huge thing, right? Like you just have to know that, especially as a first time founder, you're just not going to know things and you have to be comfortable and I think we actually received people who you, the people that you want to help you, and especially even when you get up to like VCs, they know you don't know everything. And so they expect you to come with questions that position you to show that versus if you walk in like you know everything, it's already not going to work out. Um, so that active listening component is huge. Strip away the ego, strip away the expectations ask a question and just listen to what they're actually saying. And then you can kind of go through that strategy of, does this work for me? Is this what we need to do? Um, but yeah, you just, you got to let it all go 
when you're learning and just really absorb what they're trying to say. Yes. Wow. All right. Thank you so much. This was amazing, Erica. And I look forward to having you again in a couple of years and see where you've been. (laughs) Thank you so much, Amel. You're so welcome. So Namet Nation, I hope you got as much inspiration as I did by talking to Erica. And I look forward to having your feedback. Again, if you want to find all the information we shared, go to tandemnomads.com slash 164. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. And stay tuned to turn your challenges into wonderful opportunities.